Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by Sean Bloomgren and Andrew Penny from Central Iowa. On our show, we discuss all things agronomy, high-yield management, and give you real-time updates on what we're seeing and hearing in the field. We will also gain insight from industry professionals as we bring you relevant and timely information on current agronomic practices. Thank you for joining us. And uh, welcome back to part two, uh, <laughs> as, as we uh, continue our discussion with, with uh, Dr. Medeiros from the University of Illinois. Uh, you know, we, the, the first part, we talked uh, pretty in depth about the science behind the, these OMIC pathogens, uh, Pythium and Phytophthora specifically. And uh, with this part two, you know, we're going we're gonna to bring this down and relate it to real world management, right? So we're going to talk, talk how to manage these diseases. And so, so I figured let's, let's start with, um, you know, just opening the discussion on seed treatments. And so, you know, we, we kind of touched on earlier uh, fungi versus oomycetes. Um, do, do all fungicides control oomycete diseases? No, not all fungicides <laughs> control all my Perfect. Yeah. Right. <laughs> as, so, as you explained earlier, and you learned uh, yeah. you were basically just feeding that <laughs> that one specific yeah. pathogen <laughs> or water. That's right. The, <laughs> that's right. No, they they don't. And uh, um, and even the specificity varies, right? So um, there's some uh, some fungicides that will do some damage to omyces, but it's they are not as effective as if we have something that's specific for all mice. It's, and uh, there are some things that just wouldn't do anything. Some fungicides that are very effective against fungi would do nothing against all mice and vice versa, right? So, And part of the reasons is they are biologically very different um, um, organisms, right? Um, yeah. So when we think about, you know, the, the corn belt, the soybean belt, we have, there. there's a handful of formulations that cover the vast majority, right? I mean, we're, we're swapping in some different active ingredients, but for the most part, we're running two or three modes of action on, on, a, on a fungicide. Usually we're throwing in an, an insecticide. How, how would you think about, how would you think about that in terms of product positioning and, and the appropriate product to use um, given this discussion? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I was just writing also something for uh, for um, uh, m with my colleague here, uh, Dr. Giovanni Prezza, who's uh, an, an agronomist who was trying to get something for soybean growers this week and like asking me to write something about uh, the, the 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 management for for seedling diseases. Um, and my thing, my my thought there is like I looked at seed treatments that are available for growers now uh, nowadays and. Most of them have a plethora of things, as you were saying. Like they are throwing a lot of fungicides, and and they mix an insecticide, they mix a biological. There is a lot of things that go into those seed treatments. That, as I was saying, is very important, especially with early planting. And early planting is is here to stay. I think there is clear yep. clear evidence of the yield advantages. So uh, if that is what's happening, so <laughs> we, we need to adapt as plant pathologists. We cannot go and say, well, don't plant early. <laughs> if, if, if it is yielding more, yeah, people are going to plant earlier. We'll create riots. Um, riders. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> riders everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, the, the, the thing is, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely seed treatments and, and 
within the seed treatments, what my recommendation would be is like there has to be uh, a couple of active ingredients uh, from different frag codes, right? So th there has to be something that's specific for homicides, um, and then uh, there has to be something that's uh, specific for fungi. And um, it, what I would recommend growers also to pay attention to what those uh, active ingredients are, what what frag code they are, so that. Uh, we can rotate them next year, or um, uh, or or have uh, uh, active ingredients that are from different groups within each year. Or and and yeah, we have to we have to be careful, especially with with some of those uh, methylaxyl methanoxams. They are very effective against oomycetes, um, and there are cases where oomycetes have developed resistance to them yeah. so not we haven't seen that yet as far as i know with with the pythium and 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 uh fight of soji on, on soybean uh bad on 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 for uh, there are cases of, of resistance for, uh, against these active ingredients on on fight of infestants that causes late blight of potatoes so and, and they are mm -hmm. related so th there is a documented cases of resistance against these active ingredients although if we use them properly like mixing them with other active ingredients or we rotate we we ought to be fine is is, is my thought so let's let's unpack that so methanoxum and metalaxyl have both been in the market for uh, what, 15, 15 as as years, I 20 remember. years. I mean, I mean, metal <laughs> axle is the OG, right? I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the original. Um, so I guess walk me through what you would recommend to a grower or, or, or maybe, maybe more an advisor in terms of, are you suggesting that maybe we use a metal axle heavy um, fungicide one year and then switch to, a different fungicide heavy with multiple modes, but maybe maybe switch up the loads or or how are you thinking about that in terms of that? What what I was thinking is like at at least there has to be if if we're applying methanoxin methylaxyl, there has to be at least another fungicide also on that same seed treatment, right? Okay. So we have to have that one with with something else because also these metalaxin methanoxam they're not going to do anything about against fusarium right so no. if, if and and we, if we just put metalaxin methanoxam by itself uh, we might still end up with seedling blight because of uh, of fusarium or yep. or rhizotonia so we we need to have something else there um, if we have some of the strobilurins. Uh, the advantage of those is that they can also uh, cause, uh, they also have an effect against oomycetes. So it is not an, a huge effect, but they, are, they can also help with the control of oomycetes. So um, it, the problem with strobilurin is also prone to, to, to causing issues of, of resistance, right? So um, we, we need to use those groups of fungicides with a lot of care. So we need to make sure we mix them when we apply them. They have to go with 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 a, another different frag code group. And uh, next year we will try to uh, shuffle that that uh, that fungicide uh, cocktail so that yeah we we're not selecting for resistant variants on your field. Yeah. Which if you're selecting for resistant variants on your field. 
Well, call me because that's what I study, variants of fungi. <laughs> I'll try not to be too happy. <laughs> but but you don't want to see me there on your field looking for a very exotic variant uh, that has been developed on your field because that's bad news for you, right? But, so do, do we know, you know, you know we, we consistently have a talk about seed treatments with, with corn and soybeans. When we, when we start talking uh, specific active ingredients that are effective against oomycetes, and, and it probably, it's probably similar with fungi too. Do we do we have a good idea how long that residual lasts once in, once it's in the soil? Well, with seed treatments, the general. I'm glad you bring this up because <laughs> it's an issue, right? With seed treatments, the, the, we don't expect much effect of the seed treatments after three weeks of planting, right? So the first two weeks they're gonna protect us, but if we start having rains at week three and four that again brings up excellent conditions for all mice it's, it, it, if there were some spores in the field there they tried to infect the plant early on the first two weeks there was uh, uh, they, uh, they couldn't because of the protection of the seed treatment but at three weeks that effect is gone yep. and uh, then we, that's when we have uh, again more uh, issues with uh, with all mice, even though we had the seed treatment, right? Uh, and even though we didn't have rain the first two weeks, but we have it on three to four, same thing. We have issues again. It seems like the wild west of agriculture right now <laughs> is the biological market. Um, when do do you believe that there are biologicals, or is there research suggesting um, some some biologicals that are beneficial? Well, yes, there are some specific examples of success. <laughs> I think um, where field crops, it's a little bit um, difficult yet to put them on, on, on the field and, and being effective. I mean, there's things that have been very effective in the greenhouse, but uh, when they moved into the um, into the field, they were not that good. Um, we need to know a lot about our diseases. I think they are very effective against um, those monocyclic pathogens uh, that uh, you have a, a, a large effect by reducing a lot of the uh, initial inoculum if you kill the, the however the pathogen is overwintering uh, thing with these biologicals, then these biologicals can be very useful, right? So, uh, but, but if we're trying to use them against a rust or something like a polycyclic pathogen, well, it's not it's gonna be very hard to, to have any success there so um and uh, there is a tremendous amount of investment on like uh, on that by oh, yeah. by by the large uh, 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 I mean medium and large companies have also gotten into it even the the large chemical companies have have built in the last few years giant libraries of biologicals that that they can they are testing now so um i wouldn't be surprised if, if we find even more effective things uh, as times come along and yeah. not an area of, of my research but i've seen uh, people who are researching on these and it seems impressive uh, and like just the, just the size of the libraries of biologicals that they are yeah, yeah. exploring yeah. now well, let's let's dig a little bit deeper in, into Phytophthora in, in soybeans. So, so what fav, what what conditions with with Phytophthora specifically uh, favor that infection? Well, with with Phytophthora soybean for soybean and 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 it's again the the the, the conditions that all of mice love, which is 
water. Yep, <laughs> they yep. like to have that layer of water. If there is that layer of water, um, they can spread farther and, and swim to more uh, soybean roots. And um, yeah, so if we have water, we have a susceptible variety, um, which uh, we shouldn't because we know a lot now about uh, resistance uh, genes uh, there, uh, that we can get from from multiple uh, seed companies. So uh, I think it's, it's, it's a matter of uh, having um, no water, which can also be worked on, right? <laughs> so good drainage also uh, will will help with the management of of, of, of this pathogen. Yeah, I would not I would not call it a trend, but we've we've seemed to experience uh, the last couple of years some pretty extreme variability, and so we seem to be finding windows to plant soybeans early. And then it seems like we are just getting hammered with rain for short periods of time. Um, so, so we might go from, I don't know if I'd ever say we do it when it's ideal, but we might go, <laughs> we might go reasonably ideal planting conditions. And then it seems like at least the last two years, we've just had really, really heavy saturation, um, a month after planting and, and, and it's lasted for a couple of weeks. So as we think about these diseases, I'm like, man, it just feels like we're in kind of that perfect storm to put a lot of pressure on these, on these plants. You mentioned, you mentioned that we know a lot about resistance and resistant genes in soybeans, um, to Phytophthora. Will you just, just kind of unpack that, um, a little bit? What, what do we know? What should growers be looking for? Yeah, good, good point. And I was also thinking like every time I see, uh, um, already planted fields and driving by and see like, uh, a lot of water on those fields and it's cold and it's like oh gosh that that looks perfect for for pdm to be yeah swimming yeah. around so hopefully hopefully those, <laughs> those they had a good seed treatment applied there is, is my thought um well with with the resistance to uh, those resistance genes that against phytophthora soji they they are very effective if we have the right variants on the field and right so if, if we have uh, the correct uh, resistance uh, uh, genes there. Now, we know there's several resistance genes uh, that were uh, very effective, let's say, 10 years ago, but are not effective anymore. Just uh, all the variants of the pathogen that are out there are able to overcome that uh, nope. resistance gene. So we... How, I, 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 uh, what I would uh, argue is that we need to know, just like we know which active ingredient we have on our seed treatment, we need to know what resistance gene we have on our soybean uh, so that uh, we can vary them, also rotate them, right? So we, we also just put a paper out there with with a, a survey of these variants of, of Phytophthora soji and saying that, uh, well, there is some... Uh, resistance genes that are just not effective anymore and uh, but there is others that are very effective so uh, i would argue that uh, we need to know as as much as we know about the, the active ingredients on our fungicides as as, as we know about our, our resistance on on our resistance genes on on the plants we're, we're having there especially yeah. if we're having trouble with with seedling blights right and and um well, this will cover Phytophthora. It doesn't cover Pythium, but uh, yeah. it it, right. it is one pathogen down. It, it helps. <laughs> yeah. What what are these? So we, we we're talking resistance genes with Phytophthora. You know, often when you look in a seed catalog, it, it's resistance genes. What is it? One A, one C, right? If I remember. So how, how do those resistance genes that we look at and breed or work with um, interact with the the races of, of Phytophthora out in the field? 
Well, so it's it's just like we were talking earlier, right? So this this it seems like what what these resistance genes, or at least that's that's what we think. For some of them, the gene has been identified, and we know exactly how they work. And for the ones we know exactly how they work, is like they they do uh, identify, they interact with one of these effectors of the uh, of the oomycete. So they like uh, they sense the presence of the of the effector, and then they trigger. Uh, um, uh, very effective disease response. Now, um, now, uh, as I was saying, like what ha- can, can happen is because these pathogens can have hundreds of those weapons. They can just switch the weapon, like stop using that weapon, and use uh, use different sets of weapons. And then, um, the, if, if, if these these genes act a little bit like metal detectors, but they are very effective metal detectors in that they can only detect a specific type of gun right so and then oh, if, if the pathogen comes gene. with a different gun <laughs> yeah then it can cause the it can cause the disease right so uh that's why we need to uh yeah keep changing the resistance genes we we found on like uh, on 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 several of these older uh rps genes against factorial surgery were not that effective anymore but but there's others that are like uh, i remember rps6 for example seemed like very uh very useful throughout the state and uh there's been a lot of uh studied not only for for illinois but uh different groups have done it in, in in every state and there's a lot of information fresh information out there of which resistance genes are the the most effective yeah i think i think you own two of the best um <laughs> anecdotes yet around uh uh I, I would agree. The, yeah. the, the, the gun exam i mean that's i'm gonna I'm going to steal that. I'll give you credit when I'm explaining it to growers, but I think that's, that, that's amazing. It's a metal detector that can only, that can only detect a certain gun. That's, that's, Excellent. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. Excellent. But I, I cannot claim uh, ownership of that analogy either. <laughs> I heard it from one of my professors at Ohio State, Dr. Sofian Kaman. I think the Ohio, Ohio State. State. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's but that's but that's really good because I think for us sometimes, I know I'm super guilty of this. This stuff is so complex that oftentimes it's hard just to break it down into into just a really simple understanding. So whether we're talking about, you know, mixing our fungicides or or these races, I just think that's really, really valuable. Yeah. So uh, an- another question, uh, Dr. Medeiros, you know, uh, with those resistant genes that we look at, we often see those in seed catalogs. You'll, you'll, you'll also see field tolerance to Phythophthora. So, so what is what is field tolerance? Yeah, thanks for asking. That also comes on. It was a pet peeve of my, yeah, like back at when I was doing my master with with the field tolerance. The thing with, with this um, resistance is that, well, there is not a, a, a police of nomenclature out there and say, <laughs> we're going to all call uh, the same uh, type of resistance. Uh, uh, we need to use the same term, right? So I think with, with, with uh, tolerance, Many cases, what what uh, people are referring to is this uh, quantitative forms of resistance, also called partial resistance, right? Yep. Or, or 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 a type of resistance that's effective against all the variants of the pathogen. That 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 uh, is 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 one of the ways uh, that that that's um, understood, right? So, and there is also a lot of these types of resistance um, out there, and uh, yeah, that that is not uh, is not gonna break down only. Uh, that easily with with one variant of the pathogen, so it it can be very effective, right? So um, um, I think that's what uh, people mean with that field tolerance. Um, now, so, obviously so it's basically question, multiple yeah. genes of of resistance or partial resistance to 
a, a plethora of different races, right? As opposed yeah. to one specific gene resistant to a specific race. Is that, is Thanks. That? Yeah. Thanks for putting it that way. Yes. So it's in in the in this single resistance genes, we're talking about a single gene that's very effective. In this case, we're talking about many genes on the soybean plant, each one giving a little bit of resistance. So the more you add of those, ideally, the more resistant you have uh, overall. And yeah. the other beauty of this type of resistance is that yeah, it's not effect. It's it's not gonna break down. If the pathogen just changed, gone, as we were saying, it's yeah. going to be good. It's going to be strong all, all over, right? That's really good. How many races are identified? I, it's uh, thousands. <laughs> so, oh, wow. And, and, and in theory, <laughs> I knew there was a lot, the, not that many. <laughs> in the idea, you can have tens of thousands. The thing is like a little bit of the, the way we're, we're referring in this case to, um, to fight off the races, right? So it it's how we got called the first time uh, these races were identified, I think it's in the 1950s, right? So uh, the first time somebody said, well, these two strains, one is able to cause disease, one is not able to cause disease, we're gonna call it a race, right? But in reality, these two strains are very similar, right? So they are like, they might only be different one from each other on one gene, right? So it's not, uh, uh, if we're thinking about uh, dog races, for example, the, two dog races are, are, are a lot more different. There is a lot right. of yep. genes of, of difference between two, two races of dogs that, that will be within two, these two strains. So the, the term is a little bit misleading. So it's only it's, it's really one race. Yeah, one isolate could be a different race by just deleting one gene. So uh, then you could have, that's how you could have Tens of thousands of races, right? So, given given that, is it more important that we focus on resistant genes or field tolerance? Well, I will say both. Right. <laughs> it's we're fortunate on these uh, with Phytophthora and that we have these resistance genes, right? Because uh, we can also use it. Uh, so it gives us an extra weapon. Um, we have both types of resistance against pythium, for example. We uh, we seem to only have the the, the quantitative uh, disease resistance, so only the tolerance. So we don't have this extra weapon of uh, of having the ability to have a one resistance gene that will be very effective. I will say it gives us an extra weapon. We have more tools with with Phytophthora. Yeah. So are are we starting? You know. I know that there's been a discussion, especially after 2021, you know, I told you I, I saw some of the worst soybean root rot that I've, I've ever, I've ever seen. Are, are there starting to be any race shifts? You know, if, if we continuously use 1C, 1A, are, are they starting to see any race shifts with resistance to those genes? Across yeah, the yeah, yeah. Good question. Absolutely. We're, we're seeing more, um, um, more uh there's definitely a shift so phytophthora is adapting it's like it's the opposite of the example i gave at the very beginning with fusarium that didn't seem to be adapting with phytophthora what we see is that it is adapting to, to the more resistance so there is more races not only more races there is also these these strains that are able to uh cause disease are now able to cause disease on more resistance genes so they, they are they seem to be more um uh, 
uh, yeah, they are they are capable of defeating more resistance genes that they used to in in the previous year. And we know a lot about phytophthora because it, it it has gotten a lot of attention and a lot of research has gone into it. As I was saying, since the 1950s, we have data sets from uh, all the way back, and uh, we we are seeing uh, ra yeah races of the pathogen that are able to cause disease on more of the resistance genes at the time. Hmm. Yeah. Which is important. Why we have to combine not only one, uh, not only resistance uh, by single genes, but also put this uh, field tolerance or this partial resistance, and combine it with the um, with the seed treatments, especially oh. if it, that are more effective early on on the season. Yep. Let's shift gears and let's talk no? Pythium. Um, what do we know about? resistance to pythium in corn and soybeans. I think you you partially answered this, that we have quantitative resistance, but um, talk talk a little bit about resistance to pythium. Yeah, yeah and um, it is, uh, I'm glad you're asking this because I'm, 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 we're starting a project on this, on um, uh, identifying the, those uh, quantitative disease resistance on, uh, in corn. Uh, we have a, a student working on that already. He's um, just starting, but, but so it'll, it'll take a few years until our results are out. But uh, we're, we're, I think it's an area that hasn't received a lot of attention for um, some uh, reason, like uh, especially on corn. There's more studies on on pythium resistance on soybean, and they, they've identified some of these uh, field tolerance, at least in the academic level. I'm not 100% sure that this has translated into. Uh, more resistant varieties yet, but uh, I, I, I know of, of papers out there about uh, uh, more um, uh, uh, soybean, uh, um, uh, yeah, or, or, or identifying the, the location of these quantitative disease resistance genes on on the genomes of soybean. Yeah. So um, yeah, there there is more of uh, of that quantitative disease resistance. What worries me about pythium is that unlike Phytophthora, with Phytophthora we're talking about races, right? So variants within uh, a species of, of Phytophthora. With Pythium, we have several dozen species of Pythium, right? Mm. So it's it's a huge diversity there. And some research from from uh, um, Iowa State has, has shown that these uh, different species of Pythium are better adapted to different environmental conditions so but but it's, uh, that to me makes me think there is always no matter what the weather is out there there's always a species of pythium there that is able to cause trouble oh, yeah uh, and uh, that's something that i think uh we're gonna have to um research a lot and, and and see if this resistance is effective against all the species of pythium i i actually don't know yeah <laughs> when, and that, that's a good point you know we we know that they these oomycetes are favored by wet soil conditions, right? But when yeah. when you start talking pythium, I think I always have the question of you know with phytophthora we can usually associate cooler soil temperatures, right? But with pythium, with with all these different um, species, right? That there is the question, and and I wonder because the amount of of especially with corn and soybeans um, disease that I'll see with with warmer soil conditions, you know, we're wet but warmer. We, I, I don't think we quite know that yet, and you kind of alluded to that. So that, that's I'm, I'm glad that you are are looking into that because I think I think that's a question I commonly think about. If we have saturated soils and the soil temperatures are warmer, do we have species of of, of pythium that can infect still? Yeah, I'm afraid we do, and and actually, yeah, and 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 there is a 
a disease uh, like uh, a stalk rot on corn that's caused by a pythium species we don't see of it almost uh, we almost never see it here in the midwest but it's it's been reported in other countries where conditions are a lot warmer so it, it, it yep. there is definitely pythium species that are adapted to warmer temperatures unfortunately I know oftentimes at, at the advisor level, we want this stuff to be simple, right? We want to be able to make a blanket recommendation and just kind of assume that that's going to cover us. And I know when you get into the science of these fungicides, you know, sometimes people will struggle to answer the question of what, you know, what specific set of tools should I use? And I think it's because it's so complicated, exactly like you're describing, if, if, if we could yeah. look backwards through the telescope, it'd be a lot easier to make some of those recommendations. But um, right. so you you answered part of this, but do we know how many races of Pythium infect corn and soybeans? There's been surveys, and uh, as I said, like there is like several dozen. I can it's like I think I count them one time when I was teaching my class, and it was. Um, it was at least three dozen species of pythium, but uh, mm. with with things like that, it's like you cannot ever uh, because the the environmental conditions affect so much which species of pythium is there. Uh, uh, there might there might be more, and uh, there is definitely some that you see more often than others. So there is some that are appear to be more aggressive on, on corn. So uh, uh, I think uh, we're gonna be finding more species of pythium uh, infecting corn as as we look at this issue harder. Yeah. You, kind of, you kind of just made me think of a question that I wasn't initially thinking of. And do, do we know, are there any species of pythium that will infect corn and soy? Or is each individual yeah. one no, specific? No, they, 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 they will be able to infect both. And uh, that's also an interesting area of research, right? So f for us to look at, uh, can if we identify resistance to pythium and corn, can we use it? in some way and soybean, right? Uh, yeah, that will yeah. be, uh, well, that will be ideal. Usually uh, what happens with nature is that it's going to be more complicated as you yeah. were telling us. <laughs> do we do we know, you know, we, we kind of discussed this earlier when we were talking about mefenoxamine and metalaxyl. Are, are we seeing any fungicide resistance issues with pythium anywhere across the, the corn belt? Ooh, I, not that I know. Not yeah. that I know, but yeah. Okay. Uh, Repeat of the biological question. Any uh, any biological success in the pythium management in either corn or soy? Well, not that I know, but I think it would be worth exploring. Yeah, I'm not working on biologicals myself, but uh, if I were, probably that would be an area no. where I will explore. <clears throat> like something that eats all spores. That would be <laughs> awesome. Really you know, like to see that. We we got different fungi or even nematodes that will feed on nematodes or rootworms. So yeah. you know, we exactly. laugh we laugh now, but five to ten years, who knows? You know, yeah. five to ten years ago we would have never guessed that there's nematodes or fungi that can feed on other fungi or nematodes. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is definitely there is definitely some fungi that eat uh spores. So, so yeah. uh, like I would I will I will definitely look into that if I was working on biologicals because yeah, I, something that you could spray on your field, hopefully, and then eat those ospers and yeah. kill it. Do we know? It causes any problem? Do we know if if you know as as we talk, 
um, conditions that favor these diseases? You know, we, we talk saturated soils, cool soils. Do we know if there's any soil properties as far as like pH, organic matter, um, you know, cation, any, any soil texture that, that would impact um, these oomycete pathogens? That's been a question nagging in the back of my mind for a long time. <laughs> Another thing that I haven't gotten to, to research. There's so many areas, so many projects for research out there. Yeah. Um, I think there is. It, it, I think there is, but I, I don't know that it has been fully explored. And, uh, you know, the, this issue with Phytophthora soji is so much more of an issue, uh, so much more of a problem in, in Ohio, in uh, Nora. Uh, northwest part of the state uh, of Ohio than it is here, right? So here we do see the problem, but it's not as pronounced as it is in Ohio. And the soils are very different. So I'm not a soil scientist. So this project I'll have to tackle with some help from soil scientists. Yeah. And they're a special breed. Aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but but yeah, just yeah, the, the very different soils, and uh, I. Wouldn't be surprised at all that there is very uh, specific uh, conditions uh, that favor Phytophthora soji. So um, it, it could it could change how the, these diseases happen. Yeah. Now, yeah, again, like there is, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's. It. Uh, Dr. Maderos, this has been uh, fantastic. Um, we have a uh, kind of. Two, two parts to closing our show. And so um, our, our podcast is called A Penny for Your Thoughts. Andrew is my um, agronomist, and uh, we ask him to cash in our penny and give us some succinct takeaways, and then, and then we'll have a closing question for you. So, Andrew, I would like to cash in my penny. And Dr. Medeiros, I would, I would certainly invite you to um, chime in on practical takeaways for, for our listeners. Well, I, I've definitely learned, learned, number one, if we ever need a good analogy, we are going to come Absolutely. to Dr. Mideros. Absolutely. The, the first one that just stood out was the whales versus the fish. And, you know, I've, I've had the discussion of comparing oomycetes to fungi, and I love that whales versus fish. That, that was awesome. So I'm going to use that, and I'll give you credit there. Um, the, the second one, um, you know, we, we discussed the, the conditions that favor these, you know, pythium and phytophthora, other oomycetes. We know it's cool, wet soils. And, and as we learn more about pythium, it sounds like we already suspect, uh, you know, in corn and soybeans that there are species within that that will will in, infect in warmer conditions. So I, th I think that's something we'll, we'll, you know, we'll keep in contact with you as, as you, you study that. Um, the, the third one, I think it's, it's, it's good to know as we talk seed treatments, you know, Sean and I have had the conversation about seed treatments, what's effective, do we, are we dealing with resistance issues? You know, we, we know not all um, fungicides or active ingredients that we use for our soybean seed treatments will be effective against oomycetes. So just make sure, we, I mean, we know right now, mephinox and metalaxyl, that's effective against oomycetes. There will be other ones. There's other active ingredients out there right now. And, and I think the important thing you alluded to, Dr. Medeiros, is if you're going to use mephinoxum and metalaxyl, which we all do, right? Yep. Make sure you have another active ingredient within there that's effective against oomycetes, right? Uh, the, the fourth, I'm, I'm going to have four actually. Four. You, you can kind of tell on my notes you're, that, yeah. You're so, diluting the value of your penny, but very I good. I know. Well, <laughs> it, it, it was probably not even worth that at the beginning. So um, I think the other one is, um, you know, we, we have seed catalogs that talk about phytophthora resistance in soybeans, right? So we'll, and do, we, do we ever even have that conversation, right? We don't know what's in our soil, but I, I think you alluded to it too. 
if we see a, a variety that says 1A, 1C, and then has field tolerance discussion, I think it's important as we continue to learn more about the soil. You know, we're running DNA analysis. We can figure out what race is in our fields. It's probably pretty important that we start matching up our varieties to field-specific races, right? And so I, I think that's something that as we continue to to manage soybeans more, that's something we should probably be looking at. It, it makes me wonder every once in a while, you know, you you have that one field that just stands out, yeah, right? For that's, some unknown reason. 12 bushel better than the next thing and you and you don't know where to give the credit and it, and it might literally be the luck of the dart hitting the right field. You yep. know, you pick the yep. right variety. And um, Dr. Medeiros, anything that you would add to uh, Andrew's key takeaways? Yeah, no, no. I think those are great. Thank you so much for the invitation. I think you're hitting on the on the right thing there. Like as we move forward uh, for for disease management, uh, going into these precision techniques and like oh. knowing what we have on not only on the on the host side, but also what we have on the pathogen side, right? Yeah. So um, we can match our management better. Yeah. That way. And actually, I would like to add a fifth one. This is not all that uncommon. You know, every once in a while we get three or four. Right. But uh, it, it's just a testament to the, the information you brought to us and that, you know, how it will benefit our growers. I think the common question I get is just the, the misunderstanding when, when, you know, people often ask me, what's field tolerance versus races? Yeah, very and good. So just to, just to clarify, you know, when we're talking race, you know, or resistance gene, you know, we have 1A and 1C that we use in our varieties. And, and that, that resistant gene is going to be resistant to a specific race of Phytophthora, right? Whereas That's field right. tolerance, if, if we're wondering what field tolerance is, it's, it's a quantitative approach. So we have multiple genes that aren't totally resistant to a specific race, but it, it's, uh, it, it kind of gives you partial resistance to multiple different races of that Phytophthora. Yep. So, so that's important to know. And I, I think that will help our, our listeners understand the, the difference. Very good. Dr. Medeiros, uh, we book in our show. So we asked you at the beginning what you're excited about in agriculture. At the end, we would ask you, um, at this point in your career, uh, what's, what's, what stands out to you as, as the coolest thing you've gotten to participate in? Oh, for, uh, for me... Uh, Other than going know, to Cornell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this podcast, the, of course. In yeah. the Ohio State. <laughs> No, you know the, the coming, coming from my my experience, right? Coming from Ecuador, right, uh, and studying agriculture there, coming to to the United States, and then uh, seeing the, the level of agriculture that gets done here, especially in the Midwest. Uh, I was, uh, I always back in Ecuador, I always thought like, uh, like wow, like uh, we have. We we do produce corn, <laughs> right? But but it's uh, at a, a very different level. I always thought, well, I, I want to see how it's done there. Uh, now that I see it, I'm still amazed uh, about the uh, all that goes into the agronomy and and and, and the uh, technology that's available here. And uh, just being part of that is is um, amazing to me. I'm just happy to be part of that yeah. in some way, at least uh, giving some uh, insight into pathogens and yeah. and. and I, I can us. I can totally respect that answer because you know as, as you progress in your career and, and you, you impact growers more on on some of the decisions it, it is it is pretty cool to be a part of something you know it, it's been really cool for me to see how science has advanced with with crop production in the last ten or fifteen years you know we've been doing it for how long and yet it seems like just in the last ten or fifteen years a lot of money and research and time and energy manpower has been put into looking at some of the in depth questions that we've you know, tried, tried to answer. So I, I can totally respect that answer. Yeah. Dr. Medeiros, tell our listeners how to follow you, whether that's social media, uh, university, how, how do they, uh, how do they follow what you're working on? 
Well, yeah, uh, I'm I'm on Twitter. I'm not an active Twitterer, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> so easier to, for uh, to find me is that on on my email smideros s m i d e r o s at illinois.edu. Happy to uh, talk to producers. I enjoy that very much if they if they want to reach out to me. No, really, really appreciate that. We will we will certainly put your um uh, put your contact information in the show notes. Andrew, give our listeners a teaser about uh, the next episode. Yeah, we had another recommendation from a listener, so which, which is always good. So keep them coming. Yeah, back uh, to back to back. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, it was, and I guess I never thought of that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, no, we get to uh, pick the brain of the foremost expert on uh, soybean cyst nematode from Iowa State University. Yeah. That's probably a pretty easy big hint right there. Yeah, yeah, right here, right here in our own backyard. <laughs> I look forward to it. Dr. Medeiros, um, thank you for your your time and uh, your expertise. Thank you for all the work you're doing in, in research and, and providing our listeners with a look at, at both the science and now the management. Um, thank you for joining us, Andrew. Thank you, as always, for being an amazing co-host. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. I, I would say you lived up to the expectations. That Absolutely. was phenomenal. So <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you very <laughs> Thanks much. Thanks again. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on another episode of A Penny for Your Thoughts. We love your feedback. Please email us at a penny for your thoughts at gmail.com. That's a penny, the number four, your thoughts at gmail.com. Or reach out to Andrew and I on our social media. Thank you for tuning in.